In our first episode, we began with a foundational exploration of what exactly 5G is and how we'll be framing our thoughts on the future of connectivity. We spoke with Andrea Goldsmith, professor of engineering at Stanford University, Flynn Coleman, author of A Human Algorithm, and Durga Miladi, senior vice president of 4G and 5G at Qualcomm. Maybe it seems obvious, but business is changing. And much of that change from digital transformation to workplace innovation is driven by critical advancements in mobility. Platforms like virtual reality will eventually become solutions for how to get business done. Thanks to support from T-Mobile for Business, we're here to explore how 5G will enable future innovations in virtual and augmented reality that can advance our future. You can get very easily lost in a space because you don't know what is up and down. The only reference you have is the Earth and the space station. <laughs> That's Evelyn Morales. She's describing the feeling of leaving the International Space Station to complete a mission in zero gravity. When the dark comes and the light starts fading, the dark is so dark that you can touch it. When you get out of the airlock and you're just coming out and you're holding, you know, your hand with the handrail and that's the only point you have, the connection with the real world. And then everything else is low. Like, oh my God, you can just, just fly away. From 1992 to 2019, Evelyn ran virtual reality at NASA. One of her missions was to build an identical copy of the space station where astronauts could train before going there themselves. They call us from space and, and say, hey, I want to tell you, this looks just like the VR lab. And it, it was their feeling that they knew more of what they were in relation to the vehicle by doing it virtually first. So every time they did it for real, they will compare it in their minds with the synthetic world they already saw. And did you ever try your own mission? I mean, did you go to space in the headset? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, people ask me that. Well, don't you want to be an astronaut? I say, well, I've been an astronaut virtually many times. So, yes, I've done it. And what did you feel like when the astronauts called you from space saying that what they were seeing resembled exactly the world that you had built? It's an incredible feeling. It's uh, an accomplishment. And you know what? We say, okay, great, next. Because we have so many missions <laughs> to cover that, that it was like, okay, great, wonderful. Let's do the next one, <laughs> you know. That sense of mission and of using VR for a concrete, real-world objective is crucial to understanding how far-reaching this technology could be. But it also allows us to dream. This is something that I, I always dream about, and I always wanted to go to the moon. My dream will be that as the technology gets better with 5G and beyond in the future, is to actually transmit what the astronauts are looking uh, through the helmets. And they will be following an astronaut as they step into the surface of the moon. So imagine what it will be. I mean, just think of it for a minute. I mean, everybody around the world can follow these people bouncing on the moon. We will be there with them. 
virtual reality has left the realm of science fiction. For a few hundred dollars, you can buy a VR headset and use it to play immersive games or experience new kinds of art in virtual worlds. But the technology goes so far beyond entertainment. Not only does NASA use it to train astronauts, but around the world, it's helping people learn new skills, cope with trauma, and even reduce physical pain. So can greater connectivity and lower latency, technological advances we expect will arrive with the implementation of 5G, unleash new possibility? A few decades ago, just a handful of people could imagine using VR to train astronauts for space. So if we look a few decades ahead, what role could VR play in our future? In this episode, we'll explore how virtual reality is being used to help people prepare for the real world, not escape it, and at how advances in connectivity and wireless technology promised by 5G could make virtual reality even more immersive and even more powerful by increasing the user's sense of presence in the virtual world. I'm Oz Veloshin, and this is This Time Tomorrow, a podcast about how advances in connectivity could change the way we live. Carrot, Evelyn is a computer scientist who built a VR system starting in the early 90s. To most people, that would have been a complete pipe dream. But she was doing something to solve a very practical problem, which was how do you train astronauts to go to space when they're still on Earth? You don't tell them about freeze-dried food. <laughs> yeah, because if you do, they won't go. <laughs> I think that the first time VR was introduced in science fiction was in a series of short stories from 1933 by Lawrence Manning called The Man Who Awoke. Have you been doing your homework, Kara? <laughs> I- I've known this for a while, okay? In the series, proto-VR was described as dream dramas, wherein the main character encounters matrix-like dream palaces where the dramas being projected to the sleeping were more desirable than a waking state. Well, I didn't know that the dreams of VR went that far back. But at least for the last 10 years, people have been excited about it becoming a widely adopted technology. So I was struck in the last episode when Durga Maladi of Qualcomm told us that VR is actually one area that 5G is poised to transform. And this, according to Durga, is for two reasons. Number one, lower latency can make the experience feel way more realistic. And number two, higher bandwidth means that the computing can take place locally on small cells. And that means that the bulky headsets could dramatically reduce in size. And I could achieve my dream of finally becoming one with my iPhone. (laughs) You know, in pop culture from the beginning... We've thought of VR as a means to escape or to play games or to exist in an alternate space. A dream palace, so to speak. Yeah, and while a lot of people do use it for gaming and entertainment, I was fascinated by what you said about preparing people for experiences in the real world. You mentioned that people often in clinical settings are using VR to treat pain and trauma. And it's becoming a popular training tool, you know, from soldiers to surgeons to airline pilots. But there are limitations to the technology, both ergonomically and with connectivity. Well, no one feels very cool or comfortable wearing a bulky headset or being tethered to a massive computer. Exactly. And it makes me think about what the VR of tomorrow might look like. You know, I am currently able to play ping pong against a Terminator robot without owning a ping pong table. I did it this weekend. (laughs) But that's not changing anybody's life. 
You know, think about a world where a car engineer can test build an entire car without spending any money on parts. In this episode, we're going to go back to Evelyn to learn about how she developed the VR lab at NASA that helped prepare these astronauts for life in space. And recently, I traveled to Philadelphia to learn more about a program that's using virtual reality with an unexpected population. Juvenile lifers are individuals who were sentenced to life in prison as juveniles, meaning under the age of 18, which was actually deemed unconstitutional in 2012. It's hard to believe it was that recent. You know, juvenile offenders connote someone young, but it's actually the opposite. It's someone who was sentenced to life in prison when they were essentially a kid. And for some, it's been decades. So Pennsylvania was faced with this challenge. How would they prepare people who had been in prison for 10, 20-plus years to live in the, quote, real world? Before we get there, we'll talk to Jeff Marshall, who has a virtual reality product that you and I both tried, Cara, to help us practice our public speaking. So, Cara, you and I are not astronauts. I am. I went to space camp, so I'm an astronaut. That's true. Okay, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm not an astronaut. Um, But together, we did use VR to prepare for a difficult assignment. Yeah, we actually got asked to speak at Johns Hopkins University about AI and medicine. And we were extremely nervous. To say the least. So I'd read about something called Ovation in The New Yorker, which is a VR public speaking tool. And so I did what anybody does when they read about someone in The New Yorker. I called him, this guy, (laughs) Jeff Marshall, and I asked him to give us a training. So it's completely nuts. I was wearing this huge headset and holding two controllers in my hands. And all of a sudden, I'm facing this unsmiling lecture theater full of people who look somewhere between bored and outright hostile. And then you have to win these people over. And sometimes they're on their phones, they're sighing because they're bored. Scratching themselves. But that's how immersive it is. You know, my pulse was elevated. Palms were sweaty. Not as sweaty as mine, but um, <laughs> one of the cool things about the product, Ovation, is that you get feedback afterwards. Did you look too much at the left side of the room? Did you pause too much? Were you using filler words like um and ah and ooh and so and right? And I actually answered yes to all of those questions. <laughs> so when it came to actually delivering the speech, we had this sense of deja vu. It was the same lecture hall. They were the same faces. And I do think that actually took some of the fear out of it. And part of the mission of this show is to uncover applications that businesses might build on top of 5G. And VR for public speaking does seem like a natural area to explore. So I've been thinking about VR for five, six years now and can't get it off my brain. That's Jeff Marshall speaking, the founder of Ovation. I wanted to know how we got started. I can remember that first experience. It was called Titans of Space. You are essentially guided through the solar system from the sun to the outer planets. And what what blew my mind the most about it is how you could just get a sense of the scale of the solar system, which you simply can't get from a textbook. Around the same time, I had taken a public speaking class at Arizona State University as a way to get me past my incredible fear of public speaking. It was sort of exposure therapy, forced exposure therapy to cure that. And I fell in love with that class. I loved it. I loved the process of preparing for a speech and I loved delivering it. And I was trying to think, how can I 
build some sort of application in VR that's useful? How can I create something? And so the two just kind of came together in my mind. Why don't I take VR and this newfound passion I have for public speaking, combine them, and see if there's something there. And that was the beginning of Ovation, which is now used by all kinds of educators and businesses. Essentially, everybody gives some sort of public speech, whether it's to three people or 3,000 people in every industry you can think of. And we said, okay, well, why don't we make this software generic enough to solve this lack of public speaking training for everyone? So how does it actually work? You put on the VR headset, you select a venue where you're going to speak, a boardroom, a conference room, a classroom, a courtroom. So you select one of these, and then you populate it with an audience. These are real people who we hired, brought into our studio, and scanned them into 3D models. We then animate them to pull out a cell phone, to cough, to look at their neighbor, to scratch their leg, to do what an audience does. If you want a projector behind you, a timer on the wall, if you want a microphone in your hand, all of these are virtual objects. If you've used it in a speech before, odds are we have a virtual version of that. The goal is to make the experience as true to life as possible, because the more real that the virtual reality is, the better it can prepare you for real reality. It's a phenomenon called presence. Presence is this idea that for a moment, your subconscious really thinks you're in that virtual world. Your real self is in there. This idea of presence is probably the single most important part of VR because it allows you to focus entirely on what's going on inside that headset. You don't have distractions outside of it. You, you sort of have all of your faculties focused on this virtual world and whatever the designer decided to show you. And it's amazing how effective that can be. It's this presence that makes VR a useful tool for everyone, from people preparing to give speeches to people preparing to go to the moon. But significant barriers remain, particularly when it comes to mobile VR. There are a number of limitations with VR right now that I wish I could snap my fingers and get rid of. So right now, you need a very high-end sort of gaming PC to drive our experience. And of course, I would rather that not be the case. It would be nice to just have a headset that you put on, and everything that you need to run Ovation is in that headset. It's incredibly liberating to not have to feel that cord running off your back, to know that you can do a full 360 without getting tangled up. Ultimately, you just want a pair of glasses that you wear that are no more uncomfortable than the normal glasses you wear now. The problem right now is that to render the most immersive VR experiences, we still need the processing power of computers and bulky headsets. And that's where 5G could offer a solution. Remote rendering of virtual reality software is extremely exciting. You flip the headset on, you put it on your head, you launch the application, and everything just works. You don't need to plug in any cords. You don't need to update any drivers. You don't need to restart your computer because it isn't working. And so one of the solutions to this problem is edge computing, which is this idea of building many more smaller data centers closer to highly populated areas 
and routing the VR signals there, having them processed there and sent back to that user directly. All of this could make the experience of VR more immersive and more widely adopted to solve real-world problems. When you move your head in the real world, you never feel like there's some sort of lag, like the world is catching up to your head movement. And that needs to be the case in VR as well. 5G offers this promise that you'll have latency low enough that you can trick the brain into thinking that in a VR headset, when you move your head, that virtual world is going to keep up. And that's extremely important for all sorts of different applications in VR. Kara, what was so interesting about the Ovation experience was, for me, you know, it's essentially just a form of practice, not so dissimilar in principle from practicing a speech in front of the mirror. But when you add this immersive element, it almost allowed my brain to believe that the situation was real. And I think that in turn made the real situation less stressful and probably better. While many of us relate to a fear of public speaking, for some people, just being in public is something they need to prepare for. I wanted to learn more about a program that offers training and support to those who are preparing to be in public for the first time in a long time. People who have spent much of their adult lives in prison. About a year ago, I read a story written by Nicole Lewis for the Marshall Project about juvenile lifers in Pennsylvania's correction system who were using virtual reality to prepare for their imminent release. I wanted to learn more, so I went to meet Daniel McIntyre, who helped develop the program. Everybody just calls me Danny Mack. I'm the director of the Bureau of Community Corrections for the Department of Corrections for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. If I passed Daniel in the street, it would be easy to guess that he worked for the Bureau of Corrections. He looks like he's in charge. He has a serious handlebar mustache. But within a few minutes of talking with him, it was clear that his warmth and authenticity are contagious. Basically what I do is oversee all the state-run operated group homes. So people coming out of a state correctional institution that do not have a home plan that uh, we want to successfully reintegrate and get them back into the communities and get them working and doing positive things, we'll come to a center. In 2012, the Supreme Court held that it was unconstitutional to sentence a juvenile offender to mandatory life without parole. In 2016, this decision was made retroactive, meaning that a whole population of prisoners who thought they would never be released were suddenly preparing for life on the outside. Since that's occurred, we've had over 200 juvenile lifers released back into the communities. It's a slow process back in, because if you can imagine going from an institution for 30 or 40 years and back into the community as it is now with technology and everything that's out there, uh, it's overwhelming to many of them. Think about that for a moment. 30 or 40 years. That's longer than I've been alive. Like, you know, we had a juvenile lifer that we transported across the state and stopped at a rest stop, and he couldn't figure out how to wash his hands because the sensors. So things that we take for granted, they had no idea how to do. So Secretary Wetzel poured in all of his administration and basically said, listen, what can we do to reduce the stress and anxiety and increase the chances for a successful reentry? And that's how this whole program of virtual reality initially started. So I thought, what if we videotaped? in 360, 
so we can show them the center of the facility that they would release to virtually. 360-degree video is important because it means that wherever the user turns, there is something for them to see. It creates the sense of presence that Oz mentioned earlier, which is crucial because with VR, the more you trick your brain into thinking what you're experiencing is real, the more effective it can be as a training environment. And they started out showing what the outside looked like, the cars going by, what the traffic's like, the people. Uh, And then you came inside the facility in each location, kind of what the room would look like, you know, where they're going to be eating, uh, the processing through the facility. So it was interesting when you talk to the juvenile lifers, many of them are like, it's like deja vu. Deja vu. When people arrive at these community centers, they feel as if they've already visited them, which in a way they have. These community centers are crucial for recently released inmates. Daniel told me about instances when former inmates were so uncomfortable living on their own that they would ask to come back for a few days. I met Daniel at one of these centers for a monthly meetup for formerly incarcerated juvenile lifers. I wanted to know what it was really like for someone who had been incarcerated to use VR to readjust to life on the outside. So I talked to Dwight Whetstone. I couldn't believe how... Like, everywhere I turned my my face and my head, it was I was seeing what was should be there. You, you know, without actually ever seeing the room before. That's just, I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> Dwight was sentenced to life in prison when he was 16 for his involvement in a fatal robbery. He was released about seven months ago, and the transition has been hard on him. No, no, it just, very, like I said, with the emotional, uh, I, I broke down in public like seven, seven times. Just bust out in tears, like, just be out here and make you know, like, I don't feel so like uh, Philly's my city anymore. I lost that privilege. After speaking with Dwight for a while, the thing that struck me most was how unprepared he was for the outside world. How overwhelming it was for him, having spent over 20 years as an inmate. In that way, the VR headset provided a bit of preparation for his impending release. Seeing that video, like, it, like edged, it, like, it burnt just images in my head. So I knew exactly where to, how to come through the process and, you know, all, all that. So um, to see the building itself after, the, after that, it was, it was kind of like comforting a little bit, if I can say that. It... it, it, it <laughs> And then that video didn't prepare me for everything else that I saw, you know, everything else that I experienced. But at least for this space, yeah, it was, it was comforting to actually come to see it in real life. Those recently released from prison face profound challenges. And if I learned anything, it's that it's a long adjustment process that can't be solved with any quick fix. And no one I spoke to on my visit claimed that virtual reality transformed the experience into something easy or simple. But it is a resource. Since the first rollout of this program in Pennsylvania, other states such as Colorado and Florida have followed suit. Dan is continuing the state of Pennsylvania's work on other applications of the VR that help inmates experience life outside of prison even before they get there. So what we do is we ask them because that's sometimes the best thing. What would they like to see? And that's where we got the idea of having just what it's like to cross a street. That was a big concern. We didn't realize it was even there. But, you know, back when they were 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't as crazy it is now. But to, to reduce the stress and anxiety associated with this and doing it successfully, reintegrate them back into the community, anything we can do 
to get one more person successful and stay out from coming back is we'll do anything we can to get those outcomes. The thing I kept coming back to in talking to both Dan and Dwight is how unlikely it was that VR would play a role in Dwight's reentry. Someone like Dwight encountered a technology that was like nothing he'd ever seen in his life before prison. Here's Dan's perspective. When I was exposed to virtual reality, I realized the impact it could have on the cost associated with training individuals and transporting them to locations and and trying to get everybody to get the proper environment. When you could do that virtually, are you kidding? That's such an amazing tool. So that's what I want to get across to everybody is that this isn't for entertainment purposes. This is for reentry purposes. And there are applications of VR that go beyond the practical. I remember one time I was at SCI Muncie. It's a female prison. And uh, while I was there, the one major said, hey, Danny Mack, and he says, well, we have a, a terminally ill inmate that she has about maybe a couple weeks left. And he said, would you be able to show her the beach? It's the one she's never seen. So we showed her the ocean. We had her sitting on the beach virtually. We took her snorkeling uh, with the fish and stuff. And it impacted me because you could just see how it was impacting her. She had tears coming out from underneath the oculus and it was rolling down her cheeks that she was just so happy to see that. It was kind of like the last wish she was granted. You know, Oz, the mental image of tears streaming down the oculus is so striking to me because it is a unique blend of humanity and technology. And it kind of underscores that there is something special about VR when it's used in this way. I think you and I are both very drawn to these types of story about the interaction between technology and humanity, more so than just the technology itself. But it's there's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a moving and sad story to think about that woman dying in prison, never having seen the ocean. New technology like VR can't solve any injustices, but at the very least, it can offer prisoners a glimpse at a world they literally have no other way of seeing. And in the future, that glimpse could get more realistic and more powerful. The VR that Dwight used to practice his first visits to the community center was based, as you said, on 360 video. That's not interactive, and it doesn't have the same sense of presence that a fully rendered world does. So while NASA can afford to build that out for its astronauts, It's much harder for correction systems. And in a world of 5G, VR still won't be a solution, but it can become a more powerful tool. Of course, the idea of using technology to prepare people for situations they haven't encountered is not actually new. In World War II, the U.S. Army created an instructional film for American soldiers about how to behave in an English pub. Let's go inside. Come on. Oh, wait. Before we go in, let me tell you a little about an English pub. Now, these pubs are open for a couple of hours in the middle of the day, and then again in the early evening. And incidentally, the beer isn't cold in England. So if you like beer, you better like it warm. Yeah, I mean, sadly, no amount of instructional video can prepare Americans for the horror of warm beer that greets them on our gilded aisle. Um, But it is interesting hearing that to think about just how far instructional video has traveled from this, uh, what's effectively a farce, to incredibly immersive worlds that can prepare people for technical, difficult, even life or death situations like astronauts in space. But can it prepare them for warm beer in space? Warm beer and freeze-dried food, the dream. 
future with 5G is coming. Today, T-Mobile is leading the 5G charge with $30 billion invested in their network to deliver new capabilities. Improved connectivity and true mobility provided by an advanced network from T-Mobile for Business could change the way we all live and work. The 5G era will take the best technologies available today in the wireless space so that you can offer new capabilities to your business customers. T-Mobile for Business knows that the future of business will be powered by advancements in wireless networks, with these new technologies opening the doors for better ways to get the job done. Business is changing. Learn more at T-MobileForBusiness.com. I was uh, working at NASA as the chief uh, principal engineer for the virtual reality lab for 27 years. When Evelyn first started at NASA, astronauts trained for space using mechanical markups and real-world simulations built on the ground or underwater. But they were inefficient and expensive. So Evelyn was given a mission, train astronauts in virtual reality. The problem was, at that time, neither the hardware nor the software were fit for purpose. So Evelyn got to work. We were creating the content before the, the hardware and the technology was here. So we had that content. Now we needed to put it in a way that it will be workable through a graphic system that will have the capacity of processing real time all these scenarios as we were showing at the astronaut so that it, it becomes something that they can immerse themselves. So Evelyn and her team at NASA built VR headsets from scratch, using any useful components they could lay their hands on. We modified, we modified, but we made the biggest breakthrough was when the cell phones came out. Because at that point, we knew that we had the displays that we were looking for to actually use two displays for the vision. And when that happened... Uh, is when we created the helmets, a helmet um, that was actually uh, prototyped by one of our engineers in his garage, literally. And we <laughs> built that design and put the two displays and it, it came out wonderful. What struck me about my conversation with Evelyn was how far she had to look into the future. At NASA, the mission involved planning exactly what the astronauts would need to do so that a VR simulation could be created years before they went to space. There is going to be a mission happening where there is going to be a spacewalk. So we needed to all know what the mission, when that was going to happen, we needed to know that now a year ago so we can train the astronauts. And the only way to do that is with graphics. The only way to do that, if you want to now train somebody, is immerse them in that mission that is, is in the future. And thinking about the future... I wanted to know Evelyn's thoughts on what role 5G might play in the VR of tomorrow. Looking at 5G and improving transmission is that now we're going to be able to do VR from very far away and do it in a way that there is no latency. And that creates a more realistic momentum in a space, if you will. For example, before I left NASA, I was creating a, a product with one of my coworkers that will basically be following an astronaut uh, through in a spacewalk. Now, if that real time and that transmission gets better, 
with 5G and the technology as we look in the future, then we're going to literally be following an astronaut in real time using VR. But we need that fast transmission so that there is no latency. Now Evelyn is working just down the road from NASA at the University of Houston Clear Lake, where her new mission is to help transform education. And Evelyn has made a career out of building towards the adjacent possible, making use of the best of today's technologies to create tomorrow. And I was curious about what informed her unique perspective. All my team members that have been long enough with me there, um, and especially they were all men, (laughs) I had a different perspective based that I'm a woman. And that plays incredible when we're building something so complex. You, you need to have the different perspective. I was born in Venezuela, grew up there, but I moved when I was about 19 to the States. That allowed me to see challenges differently than my team. So I, I was able, able to guide them sometimes through some difficult times that we have by being more proactive because I went through the challenges of adapting to a different place, adapting to a different uh, language. I noticed on your LinkedIn, you you have Evelyn Morales, MBA, (laughs) Uh, not PhD, not NASA scientist, but (laughs) Masters of Business Administration. I mean, and I love it. I love it because, you know, I I mean, I mean, I worked through computer science and I got my degrees in, in that area. And then I had to learn a lot of engineering, aerospace, mechanical, electrical, as I was going through my uh, different applications, integration of the hardware with the software, et cetera, et cetera. But when I did my MBA here at the University of Houston Clear Lake, which I love, it really opened for me the opportunity to see the business side of it and how to communicate that, how to communicate all this technical stuff in a way that was more understandable for other people. If you have a mission where people believe it and you put different people from different backgrounds together, you're going to get something incredible. So it's about the leadership and how they project that vision and that mission that has to be bigger than anybody. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join host Jonathan Strickland as he explores the upcoming 5G revolution and the business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. There are certain decision makers who are restless. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they're ready, curious, and excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. These restless ones are in pursuit of bigger, better, smarter, stronger. They seek new partners, new strategies, new processes. They pursue innovative platforms and solutions to propel their teams, businesses, and industries forward. In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves, and dive deep into how they think the 5G revolution could propel their business forward. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. So Kara, it's kind of amazing to think how this one technology, VR, could link together everything from us preparing to give a speech to inmates preparing to leave prison to astronauts preparing for missions in space. Right. And actually, the Academy Award-winning director, Alejandro Iñárritu, created a VR exhibit that traveled around the country, even to Washington, D.C. It was designed to help people feel the experience of being a migrant trying to cross into the United States and to create empathy for them. 
But in making that piece, Inuritu acknowledged the limitations of the medium. In his case, he built out a ticketed experience. But wouldn't it be amazing if that journey was something everyone could experience? Completely. I mean, we do have consumer VR headsets today. But the reality is when we wanted to try out Jeff Marshall's program, Ovation, we called him. He came to our studio here at iHeart. We plugged into his powerful computer and we wore a super bulky headset. But it's not exactly accessible. And something 5G might enable is more accessible virtual reality experiences because the mobile headsets could have higher quality graphics at the same time as being more comfortable and portable. What if elderly people could access it? What if people feeling depressed could easily access it? Is it even something that could be prescribed? Absolutely. And like we saw with both Evelyn and Jeff, the future applications in business are at the forefront. In more rural areas, 5G connectivity could help a farmer use virtual reality to operate heavy machinery remotely. Also, with the future of 5G connectivity, a doctor will be able to put on a headset to operate on a live person while being able to overlay that person's MRI or CT scan. Surgery could actually be way more precise. These are all opportunities for 5G to improve what already exists. And we'll explore these speculative futures in the coming episodes. On the next episode of This Time Tomorrow, we'll talk to first responders about the new technologies they're using to fight fires today, and to Nicole Raimundo, Chief Information Officer of Cary, North Carolina, about building the cities of tomorrow. I'm Oz Voloshin. See you next time. No matter what you're after, T-Mobile for Business is here with a network born mobile and built from the ground up for the next wave of innovation. From mobile broadband to IoT to workforce mobility and everything in between, T-Mobile for Business is committed to helping you move your business forward with the products and services you need, as well as the dedicated, award-winning customer service you'd expect from America's most loved wireless company. Business is changing. Learn more at tmobileforbusiness.com.